Hey, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will bring you one right now. Don't, don't be ashamed to, uh, to raise your hand. We'd rather put one in your, in your hand as we uh, walk through this. You're going to need it for the text because I don't always put the text on the screen. And so uh, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. <clears throat> All right, cool. Uh, you can follow along uh, either in your physical Bible or on your phone or whatever, whatever you're using to do this. Uh, uh, we are preaching through Acts right now. If you're new to Refuge, expository preaching is a big value of ours. Verse-by-verse verse verse preaching through the text, and we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8 today. So let's jump right in. We're going to pick up in verse 4 uh, today. That's where we'll be. So uh, Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 4. Here's what the text says. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Uh, we'll just stop right there with that first verse. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So you've got to say, why were they scattered? I mean, what, what caused you just pick up right there? You're going to go, what in the world was going on? Well, back up with me in your, uh, back up, Terry, uh, back up. <laughs> Back up in your Bible, back to verse 1 of chapter 8, and we'll figure out why they were uh, uh, scattered. Look there with me in Acts chapter 8, verses 1. And Saul approved his execution. So if you remember, we, we kind of, uh, uh, we talked about the, Steve, uh, stone, the st stoning of Stephen. Uh, whew, easy for me to say. The stoning of Stephen. And so Saul was persecuting the church. And that's what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. This is why uh, they were scattered. Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So that's why they were scattered. And while they were scattered, they were sent out. No matter how they were sent out, they were sent out. And so God, the Holy Spirit, had chosen to send them out that way because Saul was ravaging the church. And they were like, man, we can't stay here. We got to go. And so that was one way of getting them out of where they were before was for them to be scattered in this way. And, and so uh, it tells us that uh, uh, we, we read about Philip. Uh, we'll see that in verse 5, that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And so Philip was a deacon. We find that out uh, throughout our reading of the text. He was not a professional preacher. This is not what he did. He wasn't a priest. It wasn't what he did for a living. He was just part of the scattered people. And so he was sent out because the church was being persecuted. And so let's take a look at, maybe you don't know what Samaria, where is Samaria? Where's all these people, places that we're talking about? Well, here's a map uh, that I pulled up. And so what you'll see is on this map, I want to circle Jerusalem and Samaria. So I'm going to try uh, this and see if I can do this. Uh, here's Samaria, right there. How about that? And let's see, where is Jerusalem? Right here is Jerusalem. Yeah, so what it said, the text says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. That's what it says in verse 5. And it's, so it's interesting to me that they say he went down. So if we're looking at this map, you're like, bro, it doesn't say that. He didn't go down. He went to, up to Samaria to proclaim the, uh, the, the gospel. And so some of you who are, might be a little skeptical about Christianity or about the Bible, you're like, ha-ha, I got you, preacher. Well, not so fast, my friend. 
Uh, today, when we might say that we're going, I might say if we leave refuge and we're going up to Millington, right? We would say we're going up to Millington, right? Because it's kind of north of here. Would we say that? Yeah. Or I'm going up to Brownsville because that's north of where I'm going. Or I'm, if I'm going to South Haven, where am I going? I'm going down to South Haven, right? So we, we do it geographically on where we're going today. That's how we choose to describe the things. But in, in biblical times, uh, the way that they would describe things was much more geographically or much more uh, the topography of the landscape. And so, so Jerusalem itself actually set up high on a hill. Uh, people tell us that it was maybe even 2,500 feet higher than the, the places around it. And so many times they would say that we're going up to Jerusalem or we're going down to another city from Jerusalem. Even, whether or not the, uh, the direction didn't matter to them in the time, it was much more about if I'm going literally up a hill or down a hill or things like that. That makes sense, church? Uh, so they would, they're really talking about elevation and things like that. So that's really about... Uh, uh, but really, the language in the text alludes to a little bit more than geography, even, uh, and going up and down hills. Really, Jews revered Jerusalem. I mean, it, it was their place. It's where they went. And, and so they revered Jerusalem. So even uh, thinking about spiritually, going up to Jerusalem was saying, hey, I'm going to the holy city. I'm really going up, upward to the place that is the, holy of, uh, the holiest of holy times and places uh, for us. And when you would be leaving Jerusalem, you would be leaving the most high place in their mind during the time. And so now th that's just a little bit of uh, topography for you uh, here on, on this uh, beautiful Sunday. Uh, so now all you skeptics will have to wait for my next seeming contradiction. All right, so off the geography lesson, let's go back to verse five. Here's what it said. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And so what was Philip doing on this journey? What was he doing? proclaiming to them the Christ. Let me, uh, let me do my pen again. And so he was proclaiming to them the Christ. That's his whole thing about going. He was, he was sent. He was spread out. He was uh, uh, shipped out of his city. And so while he was going, he was just telling people about Jesus. As he was going along, anybody he encountered, the people he encountered, he was telling them about Jesus. What do you think, what do you think Philip might have been saying when he was going along on this journey? What are some things that he might have said? If he encountered you, what are some things that he might have said to you in his journey? This is, I'm, this is a legit question, and I'd love to hear your answer. Let me, I'll read the verse to you again. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Don't make me call on you. The Messiah came, the Messiah came yeah. What else? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Somebody ought to make a song about that. <laughs> what else would they say? What else might he have said? Let me tell you some good news. Yeah. How he met Jesus. Yeah. What else might he say? What he did for him. What did he do for him? Changed his life. How so? Died and rose again. Come on, people. Pretend you're in Sunday school. Have you ever heard about Jesus? What else? The tomb is empty, yeah. What else? Come on. He's coming back. What else? 
Repent and believe, yeah. Believe what? He's the Messiah. Didn't you just say that? <laughs> she really wants to say that to them. She's sure Philip said that. What else? Tell him he's not, he's not a good person. Yeah, they're not a good people. Yeah. He's their Messiah too. Yeah. What would that mean to them? Why did they need a Messiah? Blood covered their sins. Yes. How did it cover their sins? He's their Savior, yes. What else? They crucified him, yes. What else? He died and rose again, yes. Come on, you got it? Jesus lived, yes, he lives in them, yes. What else? He forgave them, what else? Come on. Miracles, yes. Prayer. Sits at the right hand of the Father. He sent the helper, yes. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, he declared to them the gospel. He said, let me, let me tell you about my Jesus. He, he, he declared to them, that's what it says, he proclaimed to them the Christ, that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life that they could not live. That he was literally, he literally laid his life down willingly on the cross. That he shed his blood without the shedding blood of Jesus. There is no forgiveness of sins. He died on a cross. He was buried. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. And he is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on his people's behalf. And outside of Jesus, there is no hope. There is no life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You think he might have said some of those things? Yeah, they didn't tell us exactly what he says, but they said he proclaimed the Christ, which is what we would want you to do. If you encountered somebody along the way and they were like, hey, I'm not a Christian, I don't know anything about Christianity, and you encounter somebody, we want you to be able to say these things. Just like Philip did, he proclaimed to them the Christ. That's good stuff. Then he goes on to verse 6 and says this, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Now, what did verse 6 say that they did? Yes, let me, uh, let me underline that one really, uh, really um, boldly. They paid attention. They paid attention. They listened to the gospel being declared. It's why we preach the gospel every week here at Refuge is because many times we forget this. We say this regularly that many times we forget about the gospel being proclaimed. And so we want to have a reminder every week whenever you walk into gathering that Jesus is our only hope, that Jesus is the only way, that he is our only hope in life and death. And so we proclaim the gospel every week because we need to be encouraged with this each week. But they paid attention to what he said. I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. Because whoever's going to stand in this pulpit and preach from this pulpit is going to preach the gospel unashamedly. Whether it's me or one of our other pastors or whoever stands in this pulpit is going to preach the gospel unashamedly to you. Why do we do it week after week? Why is it so important that we preach the gospel week after week? We've seen it happen. You already know the answer because we've seen it happen over the last number of weeks and months here at Refuge. Why? We forget. Yep. It, he saves lives. What else? To bring others. Yeah. How many people have we seen at Refuge over the last number of months come to know Jesus? 
How many students, remember, remember what our students' testimony was when they had their, we had our baptisms just a few weeks ago. Multiple times they said, I sat here and I didn't even really want to be here. I sat here and I didn't understand anything about what they were going on. I sat here and I, uh, I heard the gospel preached every week, but I didn't really want to listen to it. But we preached the gospel week after week after week after week after week after week after week. They heard it in students week after week after week after week. And at some point, you know what we're doing there? Well, the way we like to describe it at Refuge is we're piling kindling around our people. You know what kindling is? I'm, I'm a country boy, so you know what kindling is? That's, how you, that's like wood you use to start fires. We're piling kindling around our people and praying for the Holy Spirit to light the fire. That's, what we're, that's why we preach the gospel every week, because we're just laying another piece of kindling around our people. We're laying, that's what we're happening today, is we're laying kindling around many of you who may be outside the household of faith. We're just piling kindling around you and praying, literally, that the Holy Spirit will light it up one day. And that's what was happening here. And so I want you to pay attention. Whether you want to be here or not, I want you to pay attention to what it is that is being proclaimed from our pulpit today. They listened to the gospel being declared. And honestly, it didn't seem like they were doing it out of obligation to this man who was proclaiming Jesus. They had a desire to hear what it was that he had to say. Even in this great time of persecution that they were enduring, the time, I mean, they, and that's what the Bible tells us, that they were being persecuted. But the people that already knew Jesus didn't care. They didn't care if they were being persecuted. They were going on and telling more people about that. Even more so, he felt like people need to know that the only hope in life and death is found in the finished work of Jesus. He's like, man, bro, this dude is coming after us. And if ever you needed to know who Jesus was, if ever you needed to know who the hope, only hope in life and death was, is even now. And that's what Philip went on about pro proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And I'll say the same thing. If ever you need to know that your only hope is found in Jesus. That's today in 2023. In the world we live in today, in the situations you may find yourselves in today, you need to know that your only hope, your only hope in life, your only hope in death is found in the resurrected Jesus. Whether you, you, you need Jesus in your living day to day, you need, to, you need Jesus whenever we face death and we don't know when that's coming for us, you need to know that you need to know and believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and that is crucial in Christianity. It's the capstone of Christianity. It's the thing that holds it all together. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are wasting our time. But he did. It is the thing that holds Christianity together. And Jesus did rise from the dead. It's why we do what we do. It's, it's the result, it, it is, it's the catalyst of who we see uh, G, people coming to Jesus because Jesus is alive. He is not dead anymore. He is alive forevermore. He gives us forgiveness of sins and he, brings it, he gives us an opportunity for you, yes, you, to be right with God. No matter what your past is, no matter the things that you've done, no matter the things that you did yesterday, no matter the things that you did this morning, that Jesus gives you an opportunity to be right with the Father. The Bible tells us that many signs and wonders were accompanying, accompanying 
uh, the declaration of the gospel. Look in verse uh, 7 and 8. This is what the text says. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Why was there much joy? Why? They were healed. Deliverance, right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's deliverance that's happening. Healing. Uh, infirmities. People went to these, uh, to these guys with infirmities and, and they were seeing people healed. Much joy in that city. Think of what that must be like if they had been dealing with things for their entire life and somebody comes and tells them and introduces them to Jesus, the one who can lift all these things away, the one who can take these infirmities, and infirmities away, the one who can cast these demons out of their bodies and, and whatever they might have been dealing with. Amazement must have been spreading at the time because somebody was telling them about Jesus. And my goodness, what reactions the people were having to this thing. There was much joy in that city. I mean, think about that. The difference in people who are full of joy and people who are not. You know people like that. I mean, you, you know people who are full, full of joy, Right? I mean, just think of, think right now, think of somebody you know that whenever you're around them, you're like, man, I like being around that person. They are full of joy. I mean, there's, there's just something that exudes from them that is, that is just joy-filled. We like to be around people like that. Versus old Johnny Crabtree. You know who I'm talking about? I mean, you, you got that person in your mind too, right? You know who that person is? Who would you rather spend your time around? Somebody full of joy, right? So much joy in that city. And so the people of God, as people of God, if you're a follower of Jesus today, we, of all people, should be the most joy-filled people on the face of the earth because we have the hope of eternal life, the surety of eternal life that is found in us. Many of us are seeing that thing happen in our families, to our children, our husbands, our wives, people coming to know Jesus, lives, families being changed eternally. And so joy should be part of who we are and what we do and how we see the world around us. Church people, I mean, I say it all the time. I, we talk to the band and, and uh, we, we remind each other of this, that as we're on the platform many times, that we, we think about what we're doing so much that we can have kind of this you know, grumpy look on our face or uh, a scowl as we're thinking about, you know, the, the next chords that we're playing or whatever, or whatever we're doing, we can think about, and, and sometimes we look like grumpy pants. And so we remind each other regularly that, hey, you know, we, we do the uh, old Fantasy Island, uh, uh, smiles, everyone smiles, because, I mean, we want to be, make sure that we're exuding the fact that, you know, we, we believe what we're saying. We believe what we're singing. We believe that the gospel is true. We believe what we're declaring to you today. Much joy in that city. And, 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 so, and so that's kind of the, the beginning of this piece uh, that, that Luke records for us in this text. And, and now Luke kind of turns the page in the same story. Look at with me at Acts chapter 8, verses uh, 9 through 11. Here's what the text says. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. I am somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. 
And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Simon the Great was kind of a big deal, or at least he seemed to be kind of a big deal. Uh, Kent Hughes is a guy that uh, wrote a commentary on uh, Acts, and and I reference him sometimes. Uh, Kent Hughes said this. He said, uh, he probably was known as an expert in the occult. It's probably what the truth of it was. Is he, he just knew, he, he just amazed people with his magic. He, he amazed people, and he was kind of like a sideshow. Uh, he was, a uh, uh, prophet motivated him. He was an enchanter. Um, he had probably a dominating personality, and so people were drawn to him for the personality that he had, but he loved power. And we'll see that, you can kind of see that woven through as, uh, as the scripture describes who he was. But the, the people believed that he had the power of God within him because he was just doing some extraordinary things in there. And, and, and honestly, Simon didn't tell them any different. He didn't tell them where he got his power from. He just went with it because he was drawing crowds, and he liked drawing crowds. And so he didn't tell them anything different. Look, uh, turn with me, if you will. Keep, keep your finger right there in Acts, and turn with me over to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. I just want to read that. Uh, us read that together. Keep turning to the right. If you get to 1 Timothy, it's right behind it. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. This is what the text says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. That's what Timothy's telling us. This is this obviously after what's happening in Acts. But Timothy says, even after this, he says, this is going to keep coming. And so avoid people like this. Avoid people that just put on this front, that just come across in a certain way. Avoid all these people in this list that he just said. Verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres op opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in minds and disqualified regarding their faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And so uh, uh, Timothy, uh, here we, or we see it in 2 Timothy, uh, he's writing and saying, this is what it's going to be like. You're going to encounter people like this. I get some of that same sense whenever I think about um, uh, our very text today. Whenever I think about Simon, he was after something that wasn't true and genuine. He was looking for uh, accolades from some other place. He was looking for accolades from people, but he was doing it for all the wrong reasons. Some people never change. We see this then we see, we, we see it here in our text in Acts. We see it over as, in, in Timothy, in 2 Timothy. We just read that particular text, and we even see it today. We live in the look at me generation. Hey, look at me. Hey, hey look at me. Watch me. Ooh. Watch me. So. <laughs> Thanks. 
Watch me. Look over in my direction. I mean, we have so many social media platforms that are just for that, right? Hey, watch me do this. Watch me do this dance. I do them with my kids all the time. But we live in that generation for people that are looking for their own accolades. That it's all, all about the me generation. And we find that same thing happening uh, in, uh, obviously, throughout the New Testament. But this is what we're going to, that's what I want you to think of whenever we think of Simon and what he's talking about. Let's, let's keep going. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. Uh, this is what the text says. But, circle but in your Bible right there. But, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And so people there heard the gospel declared, and they believed, and they were baptized. I mean, what a kindness that was going on. What a kindness from God that, 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 that just like, again, we, we've seen happen here at Refuge where people were hearing the gospel proclaimed and they were responding and they're like, oh my goodness, I want to follow this Jesus. I need to follow this Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I, I want to follow this resurrected one. And they were baptized during the time. And Simon saw all this and he saw what was happening. He saw how amazed the people were and he was as just, he seemed just as amazed. But you know who he reminds me of? Who saw the Elvis movie in here? Who saw it? Raise your hands up high. Who saw the Elvis movie more than once in here, with, along with me? Only a few of you. Who saw it more than twice? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. He reminds me of the way Colonel Tom Parker was portrayed in that movie. He's like, hmm, I need to find the Elvis, you know. Uh, I, that's who, when I was reading the text, this is exactly who he reminded me of. He was an opportunist. He was like, how can I find a way for this to benefit me? How can I find a way, even if I need to follow along, how can I find a way for this to benefit me? He wanted the same kinds of things that was happening there as, as Philip was preaching and, and the people were following him and, and were amazed by what he was saying. He wanted those same kinds of things. And so he was baptized too and he was hanging around and, and then we got to see what happens next. Going to verse 14 is what the text says. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had, uh, hang on. When, when uh, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So let's stop right there. Um, and so some had believed, but they had not received the Holy Spirit until... Uh, uh, until uh, uh, James and Peter came from Jerusalem. And I was like, all right, that seems a little strange to me. Why was that going on? Why did the, the Holy Spirit not come immediately and fill them during the time? Why did it have to be something later? Why did the Spirit come later on them? And why did Peter and James have to come down to actually, for it to actually happen? And I was really confused about that because I was like, that's not the way it happens today. And, and I'd read that before, but just kind of passed over it. And I was like, there's got to be something to this. And so 
Part of this that I, I just want to share with you just a little bit is it's important to understand the art and science of biblical interpretation. Why is it important to understand these? I just want to cover this with you. One, it's important to understand the art and science of biblical interpretation to ensure the clarity of the message. You need to make sure you understand how to interpret the Bible. Don't just leave it up to the guys that stand in this pulpit and preach, but you need to understand how to, how to understand clearly what it is the text says. We need also to understand to confirm the surety of salvation. It's important to understand salvation and how it happens, and we learn that from the Scriptures, not by just what I say or another preacher says, but we need to understand the Scriptures and the clarity that it brings around salvation. And then lastly, to build unity in the body so that we all understand this together, so that you understand it the way I understand it, and you understand it the way that your neighbor understands it. And this section on this side that never goes to this side, y'all both sides understand what it is that, we, that the Bible is saying, and you understand it the same way. So understanding the art and science of biblical interpretation is very important. And so Acts is one of those transitional books Acts is one of those things when the Holy Spirit is com coming onto the scene that we saw and we preached about when the Holy Spirit fell, you know, the flames were over people's heads and it, the sound of the wind came through. We talked about that early in Acts. Acts is one of those transitional books uh, that as the gospel is being spread and it's going out from Jerusalem, that some things happened a little bit differently than they do today. And so I'm sure that it was imperative at that time, just as it is today, that the message of the gospel was clear, and it was the same over and over again, that theologically uh, they were understanding the, the life and the death and the resurrection and the importance of those kind of things, rather than just someone's own interpretations of those things. And so the apostles were ensuring that this was the case. And that's why you had this delayed indwelling of the Holy Spirit and why the apostles actually came and were there and prayed over people before they received the Spirit. You, so you understand what I'm saying? As people went out from Jerusalem, remember it said that the apostles didn't leave. But people went out as they were being scattered around and they were sharing the gospel and people were coming to know Jesus and they were being baptized. But then the apostles would come and they would talk to these people and they would lay hands on them and then the Holy Spirit would fall on them because they were ensuring the apostles, those who had been with Jesus, were ensuring that the gospel was pure and they were understanding it fully and then the Holy Spirit would fall on them. So that's, when, that, and that's the the reason for the delaying in the Holy Spirit as we see it in Acts. But later in the New Testament, we read that this is different. Later in the New Testament, especially as the apostles begin to be killed and the apostles, those who had seen Jesus, those who had been with Jesus, it began to be different because the gospel had gotten established later in the New Testament. The gospel is established today. And so there's not this later indwelling of the Holy Spirit today. The, the way the Holy Spirit comes today is whenever you repent of your sins and you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus and it's genuine, you are filled immediately with the Holy Spirit. That's what the New Testament tells us. The 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Romans 8, 9 says that if a person does not possess the Holy Spirit, he or she does not belong to Christ. And he sa it says this, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives within you, uh, and the Spirit of God lives within you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, 
Uh, it, it teaches us the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for those who believe. This text says, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so throughout the rest of the New Testament, after we get out of Acts specifically, and today, the moment you repent of your sins and believe the gospel, your conversion is genuine. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that is an eternal security for you. Jesus says, I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me. And nobody snatches them out of my hands. That once you belong to Jesus, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So I just want you to understand, there was a difference in the day as the gospel, as, as the disciples were, or, or as the Christ followers were being spread and, and out of Jerusalem because of the persecution, that they were going and proclaiming the gospel, but the apostles were the one during the time, because the church was in its infancy, that they said, okay, we've got to ensure this is going on. Why? Again, to ensure the clarity of the message, to make sure that the people were going out and saying what was true about the gospel to confirm the surety of salvation, to look people in the eye, to go, hey, I need you to tell me why it is that you're following Jesus. I need to tell you why, I need you to tell me why there are things that are different about you, to ensure that their testimony is sure and to build the unity in the body. So that's why it was happening that way in Acts. Let's keep going. If you have, I'll just say this. If you have questions about that, maybe you don't believe it that way, I'm happy to talk with you about that. Hit me up. We'll, we'll talk further about those kind of things. But I want to, that's, that's, a, that's one of those things where Acts is that transitional book in the New Testament that it doesn't necessarily always play itself out in the same exact way uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament and even today. Okay? All right. Let's keep going. Verse 18. Here's what the text goes on to say. <clears throat> Here's what it said. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of the hands of the apostles' hand, or the apostles' hands, so he saw this. He saw the apostles come and lay their hands on the people and the Spirit of God fall on people. He said, so when Simon saw this particular thing happen, he offered them money. He's like, oh, oh, oh yeah, uh, hey, I got some coinage in my pocket. I, 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 want, I want that. I mean, I, I appreciate this message you're preaching, but I want that power right there. That's, that's the goods. And so he goes on and he says in verse 19, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you uh, thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Again, Simon's back in like full Colonel Parker mode. I mean, he sees an opportunity and he's like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. This is why I've been following these cats around for a long time and, and, and I want this. I, I'm, I'm in business for this. Let me, let me give you what I got because that's going to bring me lots of dough. And he got rebuked in the middle of it. Hey, I want to be able to bestow the Holy Spirit on people. And he got rebuked. Look with me again in verse 20 and 21. This is the rebuke. He said, Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Rebuked for desiring the gifts rather than the giver. 
I want the showy stuff. I'm much less interested in this humility that gets preached and this dying to yourself that gets preached and this stuff that I've got to give up my life for other people's sake. I want the showy stuff. I want to be the one in charge. I want to be the one that gets to to do all the fun stuff. I want to be the one that I can lay my hands on people and the Holy Spirit fall on people and suddenly there's this big change in people. I want that. He was rebuked for those things. And so here's my question for you today. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Is it give me Jesus so he can give me what I want? Now, before you conjure up that verse that says, uh, you know, hey, Jesus will give you the desires of your heart, make sure you quote the psalmist correctly. I happen to have the verse with me. What does the first part say? I'll say it more clearly. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Align yourself with the Lord. Align yourself with, with the gift giver. Align yourself with the one who's rescued your soul. Align yourself who is the one who holds your life in his hands. Align yourself with the one who has rescued you from sin and death. Align yourself with the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Not, hey, I want the things that I want, so let me align myself with the one who is powerful enough to give them to me. Let me align myself with him, and he changes our desires. Our desires become his desires. Our desires become, hey, I want more people to know this Jesus. I want more people to know the peace that passes all understanding. Align myself with the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then Peter asks him the same thing that we urge people every week. Look what it says in verse 22. He says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So Simon was called to repent for his motives. And maybe some of you. I'm unsure if he did. You know, 24 doesn't really say that he repented. It just says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I don't want the bad stuff. He didn't say anything about, hey, I want to repent. I want to follow Jesus. He just said, I, just don't give me another bad mojo. Pray that that doesn't happen to me. We don't know if there was genuine repentance or not. There's honestly no more mention of him throughout the scriptures. You know, th- that happens every week here. Your pastors stand in this pulpit week after week and we urge repentance. We urge you to repent of your sins and turn from your sinful ways. We urge reconciliation between brothers and sisters that you might have been in odds with. Maybe it's in your own home, husbands and wives, children and parents. We urge reconciliation to happen. We urge you to follow Jesus every week. We urge you to live like missionaries every week. We urge you to set Jesus as your highest value literally every week from this pulpit. Yet many times we just don't know if it happens or not. 
We just don't know. We don't see you. We don't, we don't watch your live. We don't get to see you Monday through Saturday. So we, sometimes we just, we just don't know. And so you have to evaluate that in your own life. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what it is that you're valuing in your own life. So you say, why, why is this important to me today, preacher? Because just as I'm talking about, our call to you is to live sent. We say that every, we want you to live sent. Every week we talk about being missionaries here as you leave here. You actually respond that week after week when we say, what are you? And you say, missionaries. You literally say that word every week. And then I want you to remember, Philip that we see in our text today, he wasn't a professional. He wasn't an apostle. He's just a regular dude like us. But he lived sent. He was someone who trusted the good news of the gospel was true. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew the way, the truth, and the life, and he wanted other people to know that very thing. It's the, it's the reason we preach the gospel every week at Refuge. We don't try to sensationalize our gathering time together. We don't do foolish stunts to draw some crowd uh, on a weekly basis. We don't think that we need to sensationalize or, or throw some big show for people to come and follow Jesus because what you win them with is what? It's what you've got to keep them with. And if you're here looking for some show, I promise you, you won't get it at refuge. But what you will get is the gospel declared to you. You'll get the only hope in life and death declared to you every week. That there's no hope found in anything else other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that he lived the life you cannot live. He died the death that you deserve to die and you will die. At the, you'll face the wrath of God if you don't come to Jesus. You will find that there's hope in the resurrected Jesus. That he lives forevermore. He has overcome death and hell and the grave and so will you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. The gospel has astounding effects. God can use laymen like Philip. He can use people like you and me. This is the message on which we stand today. Spiritual power cannot be bought. The false gospels of perversion and prosperity and those things that make us feel good, they won't, they're of no value to you. Be sure of your understanding of the gospel. And I need you to hear this from me, especially in the good old South. I'm not talking about you just talking about the big man upstairs. Okay? I'm not talking about our Southern lingo that we talk about God in such flippant ways. I'm talking about having a real relationship that changes you. You can't help but be changed whenever the resurrected Jesus, through the power that we, we trust in the finished work of the resurrected Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot help but be a different person. Your desires can't help but believe something different and live something differently. Remember, even the demons believe the facts about the gospel. Even the demons believe the facts but they're not changed by the resurrected Jesus. That is our hope for each of you. So wrestle with this today. 
And with this, I'll, I'll close this. What do you desire in following Jesus? That's really what this is about. This text is about. What do you desire in following Jesus? The golden ticket? Hey, I'll, you know, we talk about that here regularly. I'll do this thing and, and, and God will have to take me one day. Golden ticket theology? It's useless. Position? Hey, I want to be close. I want to know the pastor. You know, as long as I know the pastor, then, then uh, pastor, I'm good as long as me and the pastor are tight. Nope, that's useless. Notoriety? You want to be on Jesus' side so you can have more customers for your business? It's trash. Here's what Peter would say. May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. I'll say this to some of you who live in that world. Repent of your selfish desires. Repent of your desire to gain something at the cost of Jesus' life and his name. Repent of all that and believe the gospel today. Here's what I know. Some of you, regardless of what I've said today, will still walk away. You'll be satisfied with your religious endeavor that you've shown up for a church service, done us a favor. You'll be short of the free gift of eternal life because you haven't, you haven't followed Jesus. You haven't run from your sin and confessed your sin and turned away and turned to the only Savior of your soul. And honestly, you'll just slumber your way to hell. J.C. Ryle said this, and with this I'll close. There is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day which many have and think they have enough. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. My hope for each of you today is that you ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart deep down in the recesses of your heart and reveal to you what is genuine and true about your relationship with Jesus. Just as Philip would declare, so do I to you today. Repent. Come to Jesus today. Let's pray.